As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. To a special Thanksgiving edition of the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, how are you? I am great. I'm happy it's Thanksgiving, even though it's going to be a different Thanksgiving, but we're here. We have two football games. We're going to eat a lot of food. It'll be great. We are not talking about those football games. I figured a lot of you would probably be listening to this after those games are over. We're also not going to be talking about Steelers-Ravens because it's a little bit up in the air. We weren't sure when that game was going to happen, so we didn't necessarily prep for it because we thought it was going to be tomorrow. So a little peek behind the curtain here. But we are going to talk about a couple of the biggest games of the week, and then we are going to shamelessly lean in to the Thanksgiving-themed content here before the end of the show. But let's get to a couple of the biggest games of the week. A game that I would say a month ago... Looked a little bit more exciting than it does right now. I think it was billed as a game between two of the best teams in the league at one point. Now, that's probably up for debate. Bucks and Chiefs. Lindsay, I guess just to start this off, are you concerned about the Buccaneers offense? And if you are, how concerned are you? Yeah, I mean, I, I am somewhat concerned. I mean, there, there have been recent examples of them still being able to score a lot of points. They obviously looked pretty good, especially in the second half against the Panthers two weeks ago. But... There just seem to still be these chemistry issues, um, some protection issues, some issues of what do they want Brady be doing? What is Tom Brady doing? So I do have some questions. It does feel kind of like, you know, it's it's not a super team. You know, it's it's a reminder of why you can't just throw a lot of guys together and assume that it's going to work week in and week out. So I do have questions about them. And this is maybe not the best week to try to get back on track when you're going to have to score a lot of points to beat the Chiefs. And we know they can do it, but, but asking them to all of a sudden figure out you know, some of the things that have ailed them when they played good teams, it's, it's, it's going to be a big challenge. They've struggled over against good defenses, and I know that's yeah. not a super insightful thing to say, but when you're considering what the Bucks' ceiling was and what their aspirations were a month ago, they were championship aspirations. This was a team that believed it could probably win a Super Bowl with the way that it was playing with the talent it had on its roster. And now you see them play against teams like the Rams, 
like the Bears, like the Saints, teams with high-quality defenses, and in New Orleans and Los Angeles, two teams that they absolutely could face when we get to the playoffs. And watching this offense struggle, I think, has... It's given me pause about my just expectations for this team, where I think they can go, because when you watch this offense, the talent is undeniable, and I think the talent is always going to make them a pretty solid group. I think they're in the back half of the top 10 in offensive DVOA. They're a solid team. You know, They move the ball. They have too many guys on that team to be a below-average offense. But I do think in watching this group compared to, say, the Chiefs or even a team like the Raiders, a team that is just has a well-designed offense that really makes it easier on its players, for the most part, this offense doesn't do that. They don't make things easier on their players. There aren't easy completions. There isn't a lot of play action. There aren't guys schemed open. I think this is asking a lot of a 43-year-old quarterback to really lift the players around him when the scheme can't do it. And I just think that that puts a pretty limited ceiling on how far this group can go. Yeah, and I think that is a, a lot of that is on Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich mm-hmm. right now that we're this far into the season. And I think we all expected that there were going to be growing pains here, that this wasn't going to be perfect this year as they just tried to figure out putting all of these different pieces together and who Tom Brady is and what Tom Brady likes to run offensively. And we still don't know exactly who they are other than we know that individually Mike Evans is awesome, that individually Chris Godwin is awesome, that Antonio Brown should be able to give you this extra added element that we still haven't seen why they signed him. Like we haven't seen Antonio Brown take over yeah, a game. Watching Antonio, really impactful... how Antonio Brown run a bunch of hitch routes on Monday night was just strange. It's like, what anybody could do this. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. And we just, instead we just see Tom Brady getting really frustrated, which you know, maybe that's your thing. Maybe that's something that that you're into that you like watching. But it just it. I I know people who are like that. I get texts from them. Sure, but I, I completely understand. But yeah, I mean, it is just frustrating that we're this far into the season where this is the point where they should be figuring it out and they should be clicking and getting it together. And they they don't look any more put together, for a lack of a better term. They don't seem to have a defined scheme and a design, you know, figuring out exactly what they do well, other than just, you know, throw it deep and hope that Mike Evans is going to catch it. I don't know. It's bizarre how many deep passes they're throwing too. early in the season. I was like encouraged by it because it was something we hadn't seen Brady do in so long, but now it doesn't feel like it should be the basis of their offense. And yet it's one of the things they're doing all the time and it's not working. One of the things that I've really appreciated about John Gruden, for example, is watching the baseline West Coast offense that John Gruden used to run kind of filtered through a modern football lens. That's what it's like to watch the Chiefs offense or the Raiders offense. And I think the Chiefs are a similar thing. You've watched Andy Reid evolve over time. The offense he's running still has the same principles and even some of the same designs as the one he would have run in Philadelphia 15 years ago, the one they would have run in Green Bay before that. But there's still so many modern elements to it. You're using motion. You're using play action. You're putting guys in positions to succeed. And I'm not saying that motion and play action are the end-all, be-all. But again, I just think there there aren't many completions in this offense and not many throws available to Tom Brady in this offense that make things easier for him. To your point, he's averaging nine air yards per attempt. That At this point in his career, that's not how Tom Brady should be playing. Tom Brady right now is using play action on 18.6% of his dropbacks. That's the third lowest rate in the NFL. Having an offense that's comprised of deep shots and not deep shots that are made easier by play action is not a way 
to prop up your 43-year-old quarterback and make his job any easier. It looks hard. And with this group of offensive players, it just shouldn't look hard. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you what do you think is one thing? If you if you were to call up Tom Brady or Byron Leftwich today and say, hey, here's one thing that you could do to make life easier. Is it the play action? What is the one thing that they they could probably do this week to put this offense back together against one of the best teams in the NFL? I, I just layups. Give me some layups. It's not even the play action. It, when you watch the, the Patriots offense, I think they did a fantastic job of this. Just creating easy completions. Running backs out of the backfield. Screens. You know, as just little tiny things. Trying to, like some rub rust that get guys open in short areas of the field where you could take advantage of Brady's precision, of his timing. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. There just aren't enough layups in this offense. And I think giving Tom Brady a couple of easy completions, especially early in the game, would be helpful. That being said, they don't really have the personnel to do a lot of that stuff. I mean, they were trying to throw screens to Ronald Jones, yeah, was, and he's just breaking I was say it. That it was so rough. It, it's tough, and I think that is the one element of this offense that's missing. And I think the running back receptions are probably overrated. If you look at the efficiency of those plays, they're typically lacking. It's not the best way to move the ball. But I still think that guy is useful in a Tom Brady-led offense, and they don't really have that guy. So. They are real again, just they're not having those layups, high efficiency, high completion percentage throws that Tom Brady has really been able to master here in the latter part of his career. All right. So let's look at the other side of the ball here. And I know you guys talked a ton about the Raiders after the Raiders Chiefs game on Sunday night. Um, when we look at the opposite matchup, though, when we're working at that Chiefs offense against a Bucks defense that should be the strength of their team right now. And when they were kind of on a roll at midseason, it was because their defense was the best defense in the league. What are some of those matchups you think that the Chiefs um, could either have problems with or the things that they're going to be able to exploit? I think they're going to be just fine. I mean, this is a Bucks team that loves to send heat. And that's what they do. And the Chiefs do such a great job of just putting you in a bind. There's no good answer. And that's why I just think that Patrick Mahomes is in an entirely different category of quarterback right now. So you look at some of the underlying numbers with Mahomes against the Blitz this year. 71.4% completions. <laughs> nine yards per attempt. A passer rating of 138.8. And this is my favorite one. He's been sacked twice on 91 dropbacks. And that's playing behind an offensive line that's really not great and has been missing their best player in Mitchell Schwartz. Well, honestly, that's I insane. think that the offensive line, by bringing more bodies, you're mitigating the impact of that banged up offensive line because if in that with that stuff, it's on him to get the ball out. Yeah. If you're bringing five or six... I mean, especially if you're bringing six, that becomes a Patrick Mahomes thing. So you're almost putting it more on him than the offensive line when you bring four, five or more guys instead of just rushing four. So I just think that that's not the way to beat this team. Yeah. And when you look at the way the Bucs have been able to get after people this year, that's what they do. So if the Bucs are going to sit back and rush four or rush five because they're afraid to blitz Mahomes, then you're making them play this game left-handed. And especially with Jamel Dean banged up, we don't know if he's going to play. And some of the ways the teams are able to take advantage of guys in their secondary with double moves, things like that. I think this could be a big day for the Chiefs offense because I just don't think this Bucks defense matches up well with them. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I, you know, although I, I think if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I think everybody knows kind of how I feel about the Chiefs offense and just the way that they're they're just they constantly have answers. And it was so fun to watch the end of that game Sunday night because the Raiders have been such a pleasant surprise. And then it was just 
you just know that the Chiefs are going to have an answer to any sort of situation that is thrown out there. And I like I like this week for them. I I don't see a ton of avenues for the Bucks to win this game beyond Brady kind of playing out of his mind and having like a classic Brady Mahomes showdown, which would be fun. I mean, I think we would all be we would all enjoy that. That would be a really fun way to end this Thanksgiving weekend if we could have kind of a classic Mahomes Brady game, but I think this I just think the Chiefs are the best team in football and they're going to keep reminding us week after week. And especially as they play some of these more high-profile games, like they're going to on back-to-back weeks here. I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but I want to ask you a question. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Is Patrick Mahomes the best quarterback you've ever seen? I mean, live. I mean, just it's just in general, so- like week to week, is he the best quarterback you've ever seen? Yeah, I mean, I covered. Peyton Manning's 2013 season up close. I mean, in Denver, I was at every single game, all of his road games. And he was playing at a just completely different level that year. And I, you know, I watched from afar, you know, earlier in in Peyton's career. Um, I wasn't covering them close up, you know, some of his earlier MVP seasons. But the way that Peyton played in 2013 and that entire offense, what he got out of all those receivers, the running, and just everything about the way he played, it was on. He this was a man that had solved football at that point. Yeah, I mean, it was just it wasn't fair, almost. Yeah. You know, it was, but he wasn't doing like crazy physical things. You were never going, oh my god, that throw! I can't believe he did that. It was just the entire mastery of the game. So, in terms of just a guy that I've seen up close, um, that Peyton 2013 2013 season is probably um, is right there. But just in terms of physically what he can do, what they can do within an offense where it's just this perfect marriage of scheme of teammates of, and then of just what this guy can do. I mean, I, I think so. I mean, it's, we're not seeing anybody else who plays it like he plays it. And it's, it is kind of fun to think about or or scary. Maybe fun isn't the right word of just, what if he was somewhere else? You know, what if he had been drafted somewhere else? What if he wasn't playing with Andy Reid? Um, or what would he look like if he was playing for Sean Payton or Kyle Shanahan? I just, I just oh, I think, think with those guys, he'd still be the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, and it, it would, would just, be. And I, I would a, like to see the list of guys that wouldn't make him the best quarterback. In the yeah, NFL. and that's I think what's that's scary. Like, was he playing for Matt Patricia or Adam Gase? Or I don't, you know, I don't know, like in somewhere that they don't have kind of functional systems whether it's offense defense franchise as a whole um but yeah i mean where's where's your guy who's the who's the other guy oh, I'm not, you would say I, you've it's, seen? I didn't i didn't ask you the question so you'd ask it back to me <laughs> I, I don't want to have to engage with that because it's a really difficult answer i i tend to think and i think that what you said about just expecting them to do it at the end of last week and going into every scenario expecting them to find an answer I don't think I've ever been as calmly assured about a quarterback making plays in those moments than I am about him. You know, Rodgers has this boogeyman like John Wick esque existence in my brain because of what he's done to me my entire life. I still see the Chris Conti deep pass in week 17 where Julius Peppers missed the sack in my sleep consistently. But I still think that just in terms of how casually. Mahomes does it in these high leverage moments I've never had higher expectations or a higher bar for a quarterback moment to moment than I've had for him I guess that would be my answer 
And I and I think that's totally fair. And that's what the 2019 postseason did for me. Yes. Is it just yes. made me believe that every single thing was possible. And I covered all those games live. And, you know, just remember sitting in the Arrowhead press box during that Texans comeback game, like, during that run that he had against the Titans right before the half. And sitting there with, I was sitting next to Peter King and Sam Farmer, who are like two of They've the, seen a bit. They are the greatest guy, you know, yeah. in our in our field. I mean, they are on our Mount Rushmore, right? And watching them like giggle and laugh and Peter yeah. rewinding it over and over and the three of yeah. us sitting there like going through step by step exactly what happened, like just appreciating in real time what we're seeing. So um, yeah, I'm just, I, we're going to get to it later, but let's just say I'm, I'm thankful that we have Patrick Mahomes uh, in our lives right now. I was sitting next to Peter at the Minneapolis Miracle, which was one of my favorite moments oh, yeah. I've ever experienced in this in this profession. First, it was just an amazing moment. And to be sitting next to Peter when it happened, and we were just like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. It was awesome. Everyone had that. I was sitting next to Peter King. You. <laughs> uh, you probably were. It was that's everyone has their I was sitting next to Peter King when this crazy thing happened, if you've done this for long enough, which is always really fun. All right. Let's get to another great game for this week. A game for the lead in the AFC South, a rematch of a game we watched two weeks ago, which I was not ready for this game again, no. but I was looking at the schedule. I was like, wait a second, didn't these two teams play yesterday? But here we go again, Titans-Colts, big news coming out for the Colts right before we started recording this podcast. DeForest Buckner is on the reserve COVID list. I, You would know this more than I would. It seems like he's a high-risk close contact. It's Is there going to be enough time before this game for him to play? Probably not. It depends okay. on when the exposure was. The fact that he's going on the list today is a, when we're recording this on Wednesday. So the clock starts the day after your exposure. So okay, if he so was no. exposed to somebody on Tuesday, yeah, so it's it's tough. And there's a bunch of different ways that this rule or this COVID list has been applied. There have been cases where, and actually this is somewhat common becoming common now where either a player might feel like he has cold symptoms he may have a sore throat scratchy throat something like you know stomach issues they might put him on the list because they're they're taking these kind of overabundance of caution mm -hmm. um that's initially what happened with miles garrett where he was feeling sick they sent him home ended up testing positive a few days later um there have been other cases where a player's reported it's not a close contact with somebody within the team it's one of his family members, somebody that, yeah, I mean, his wife, their babysitter, somebody else has tested positive, and they're a close contact of that person. And that's why they're removed from the team. It's not like they were in contact with another teammate. Um, but so there's, that's probably what has happened. The fact that they didn't, you know, have to cancel practices early, they would have gotten a positive test result back in the morning. But it's very, very unlikely that DeForest Buckner will be able to play on Sunday. And that's huge because yeah. he is probably their best player offense defense i mean if you rank them one through 53 he's their best player quentin he's nelson would have best... something to say about that right that's okay that's fair 1a 1b but um i still i feel like Buckner. i didn't I'm pick so quentin I'm nelson sorry. as one of my on the podcast i did with bardwell we picked the seven guys seven nine quarterbacks we'd have you're never gonna live that down and i didn't pick quentin nelson and i i've just gotten constant shit about it since so i now i feel the need to overcorrect so I think that's a huge deal. And I went back and I watched. I was on Mina, Mina Kimes' podcast yesterday, and we did a little Titans Colts You were preview, just name-dropping our friends all over listen, the place today. Listen, <laughs> all right? I, sometimes I talk to people about football. So I love it. I, was, I went back and I watched that game earlier in the week, and I remember the Colts defense being a little bit more dominant in that game than 
they actually were. You know, the Titans scored 17 points in the first half. The Colts had two really game-swinging punts in that game, which is kind of strange to say. But the Titans had a 17-yard punt that set the Colts up with great field position in the second half. And the Colts blocked a punt for a touchdown. And that really swung the game. So I'm really curious what this is going to look like without Buckner and with the Titans offense that I still have a lot of faith in, man. I feel like I just kind of got off of them for a little bit over this last month because they had really hit some struggles. They were not playing nearly as well as they had earlier in the season. It looked like Tannehill had not been figured out, but had been put in an uncomfortable position often enough where the regression was coming. But those numbers, if you look at them, their underlying efficiency, Tannehill is still number two in the NFL in EPA per play among quarterbacks on after Patrick Mahomes. This offense is still really dangerous. Where do you sit right now with the Titans offense? Do you still think this is a group that could potentially make them a team that could knock off a team like the Steelers in the playoffs? Or do you think that the shine has kind of come off of the apple a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I'm where I was probably in mid-October with them, or I guess maybe even earlier in that I'm trying to remember when their outbreak, exactly when their outbreak was. And I would say um, about a month ago is when they were like the best offense in the league. In yeah. Like I mean, the way that they played the against the, the way they played against the bills. Um, so I think the fact that we know that is in them and that we know that they have a potentially game changing dominant running back who I, I think you said this on the other podcast. So on Sunday night, so I hate to steal your line, but like he is their closer. Right. And that's pretty rare to have that guy in a running back anymore. Um, But they have they have the potential to. So I still have the faith that they can um, that they can do that. We're figuring out a little bit about how to stop it. Right. And that's putting too much on Ryan Tannehill, making him make hard throws. Um, But I still you know, I was encouraged by the way that they played in the second half against the Ravens, where it didn't really seem like they should have been able to come back in that game. But they have a lot of resiliency to them. Their their defense has a lot of resiliency too. So I just think this is going to be, well, if the Colts win this game, it will go a, a long way to determining who's going to win the AFC South. I still think that both of these teams are going to be probably right in it until the very end. They're both playoff teams. And, you know, it might come down to week 17 of figuring out exactly who's going to win. I tend to agree with you. And I think that sometimes I forget how early we are in the Arthur Smith experience with him being the play caller of that offense. You know, he's only been doing this for a year and a half. Think about the trajectory of some of these other guys that have kind of taken the league by storm, right? We watched McVay try to solve this stuff and create his next act in real time. And it sometimes takes a while. You're going to hit a wall every once in a while as teams figure out what you want to do, start taking away your fastball and making you come with the changeup. Think about what's happening with the Ravens right now. The Ravens are firmly in that stretch of whatever this version of their offense is, and they haven't been able to figure it out at all. I think that the Titans have the skill position players on offense and the play caller on offense to get through this stretch. And I think that I don't want to put too much on the second half against the tight or against the Ravens, but it does feel like they kind of came out on the other side a little bit with this. The one thing I'd say about this matchup in particular is that the Colts are very well positioned at full strength with Buckner, I should say, to slow down this Titans offense. I was looking up some of the numbers because anecdotally, when I watched the Colts defense against the Titans, it's like, man, they're really good against play action throws. They're extremely disciplined. Their linebackers get depth really quickly after they realize it's a pass. So I looked up the numbers. They're allowing 6.23 net yards per dropback against play action. That's the fourth best mark in the NFL. 
And you might say, well, they're a good pass defense. Doesn't that mean aren't all the good pass defenses also good against play action? And that's actually not true at all. The Steelers, Saints, Rams, and Bears are all in the bottom half of the NFL in that exact same metric. So the Colts defense is both a good defense and a very good defense against play-action throws, which is how the Titans want to attack you. So this is a really fun matchup. I'm a little bit bummed out that Buckner won't play, but I still think that the Colts have enough talent up front and their defense is positioned in the right way to give Tennessee relative problems again. Did you see the Colts injury report from Wednesday? No, I probably should have looked at that before we started recording the show. All right, I'm just going to run down the list of all of the guys who did not practice on Wednesday. That's not to say these guys won't be available come Sunday, but let's just let's just list, read this list. Safety Julian Blackman, defensive end Justin Houston, center Ryan Kelly, guard Quentin Nelson, linebacker oh, Bobby no. Okereke, wide receiver Zach Pascal, quarterback Philip Rivers, safety Kari Willis. He's unbreakable. He's fine. He's got a toe. Toe, I say. <laughs> he'll be he'll be fine. And and corner and cornerback Rock Yasin. That also doesn't include DeForest Buckner and Danico Autry, who are now both on the COVID nineteen reserve list together. That's not great. Yeah, this could be tough. I think most that of these guys tough. will end up most, if not all of these guys will end up playing, but that's rough. I mean, Darius Leonard was like literally the only guy who practiced. Yeah, which right. is not how it normally goes. It's usually the opposite, where he's the one on the injury report wondering if he's going to play. So we're just to that time of year, though, where teams are just trying to get through each week, get to Sunday, and um, I'm still looking forward to this game, but not having De- uh, DeForest Buckner definitely takes a little bit of the shine off of it for me. Yeah, it's unfortunate. He's been really fun to watch this year, and he really allows them to do so much stuff defensively. I mean, both really sitting back and playing coverage the way they want to and rushing four, when you have that guy as the fulcrum of your pass rush, it's a huge deal. And then even last week, that's one of my favorite parts about watching the Colts defense is that I would say they're simple on early downs, but they have staples they like to go to. They're a cover two base team. They're going to play a lot of spot drop zone. It's a throwback. We've talked, we talk about it all the time, but on third down, they still can go into a bag of tricks and have some fun pressures that they pull out. And Buckner is usually at the center of those pressures, whether he's the one that's drawing that they're sliding the protection to one side, it creates one-on-ones on the other side. Last week on a key third and one, they had him over the center head up in order to play with some of the expectations of the Packers offensive line. And Leonard came right behind him on a blitz. So they really use him as the centerpiece of that defense. It's not just losing one guy. It's losing what that guy does to everyone else and just the wide ranging effects he has. So it's a huge loss for them. And I think it'll show up. I'm just not sure if it'll show up in a big enough way for the Titans to take advantage of it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, 
it's time to get to the schlocky Thanksgiving themed part of the show. I, I feel like we, this is just something we should do. It's this time of year. I said it on yesterday's show. It's a time of the year where you really have to focus on the things that you're grateful for. And I think that we should run through the things from this NFL season that we are most thankful for. So why don't you kick us off? All right. It's the young quarterbacks. That's this is one of the things I'm thinking. All right, for. that was one of mine too. Okay. I, I think we're all gonna we're probably gonna agree on some of these, but uh Justin Herbert has been like a delicious surprise. It's so for, to to this season. Kyler Murray becoming a must watch quarterback week in and week out. We even we've even gotten Tua, and I'm not even including some of the other the young guys that you know we keep getting. Joe Burrow's a sad story right now, but he's been incredible to watch. But it's just been a it's been a really nice surprise because this of any year, young quarterback should not be playing well. They should have an excuse to to have a difficult rookie season or a difficult second season. And instead, what we're seeing is Kyler Murray in the MVP conversation. We're seeing Justin Herbert play well when he has every reason to not play well. And it's been fun as hell. And I'm grateful for it. Herbert was on my list with young quarterbacks in parentheses. He's just been a blast. I mean, the throw he had to Keenan Allen last week where he's rolling to his left and he does like that splayed leg parallel to the parallel to the line of scrimmage throw and just hits Keenan Allen in the chest. It's like, holy shit, can this guy play? And I just did not expect that whatsoever. I, we've watched so many big, stiff quarterbacks that are just like seven-foot centers in basketball who just can't move around and don't have that sort of playmaking aspect to their game and he is just, I'm eating plate after plate of crow like every single week watching him play. And I'm happy to do it. I'm eating it with a smile because he's been so enjoyable to watch. All right, my first one, I'm thankful for Matt LaFleur coming to Green Bay. I Watching that offense and watching this version of Aaron Rodgers has been such a delight. I just think that the league is better when he's good. And it was such a waste not having this guy for the last few years. And beyond that... It's just fun to have this version of Aaron Rodgers as a personality. Today, he was making fun of Matt Schneidman's tracksuit that he was wearing when he asked a question at the press conference. Like I just, I've been enjoying that. I've been enjoying Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show every week, just not giving a fly, like not giving yeah. it at all. He does not care. He is saying anything that he wants, and I've, I've enjoyed it. I, I mean, I don't know Aaron Rodgers, but we talk once a year probably for something that I'm working on, and you can just tell the guy's. He's in a good place right now. He's enjoying himself, and it is absolutely making its way into his play. And watching him this year, watching him with Devontae Adams, it's been one of my favorite parts of this season. And it's pretty incredible because I think there were times back in you know April and May that we thought he might be miserable. And that yes. this must be a real might be a really rough year for him. And instead we're seeing, so yeah, not only did he make fun of Matt Schneiderman today, he also dropped the line, chicks love the long ball in his press <laughs> conference today, which I know he's been waiting to do pretty much forever. Oh God. It's great. All right, what's your next one? All right, I'm gonna get a little sappy for one second. That's fine. I I, I mean I'm gonna get more sappy later, so just just hold on. But um I <laughs> this year more than any, I think I'm I'm really actually thankful for NFL Twitter. And it can be an awful place to be online and to be a woman online. But this year when we've like needed connection and conversation and um 
fun stuff to talk about more than ever. NFL Twitter like pretty consistently delivers, especially on a Sunday, a Sunday night, a Monday night. So I'm thankful for all you weirdos out there, except for like the five of you who send me nasty messages. But the rest of you, I'm thankful for you. And especially for our colleagues around, not just the folks at The Athletic, but I'm definitely thankful for them, but just everybody kind of in this collective NFL media, because um, it's been a really rough year. And I there were a lot of times that I didn't think we were going to get here. And we're here and we're kind of all in it trying to enjoy this weirdness together. I, I, I totally agree. I, I've, it's been it struck me several times this year where I'll just read a bunch of stories in a row and, or like even yesterday when I had did two and a half hours straight of football conversation and I kind of sat back and I was like, this is great. Like the state of football discourse is just so incredibly high. Like you sit there and talk to Jordan yesterday for half an hour about the Rams and just the high level football conversations you can have with people and just how well people are doing their jobs and how engaged they are with them. I completely agree. It's been a really fun thing to be a part of. And I, I do enjoy it pretty much every single day. Taking back to people in the league and personalities in the league, I am thankful for Brian Flores. And the reason for that is because not only are the Dolphins fun to watch, I think really enjoyable and interesting, especially on defense. I'm thankful for Brian Flores being the right messenger for that type of approach. Because I think that what happened with the Browns and what happened with Hugh Jackson and their misguided tank approach in a lot of ways, I don't think the Browns were the correct messenger for this sort of vision. And I think that Brian Flores has shown us what it can look like when it's followed through in the right ways. I love the fact that the Dolphins had this plan. I think he was the right person to see it through. And watching it work out the way that it has, it's been really encouraging because I think that there's so many teams out there that are rudderless and don't know how to get out and don't know how to get where they want to go. And I think that the Dolphins pulling this off is going to give more teams a blueprint and just a map to say, are you a seven and nine team every year? Do you hate the fact that you're irrelevant? Come join us on the tank express because it can work for you. If you put the right people in place. I like it. I, I, I'm really excited about the Dolphins. And even last week, you know, it was a really rough game for them, but I'm still intrigued. Sometimes by them. you're going to take it on the chin from Vic Fangio, man. That's going to happen every once in a while. Yeah. And I think I, speaking of that, this is not on my list of things, but I believe I'm going to go to the Broncos Saints game in Denver this weekend because I want to see Vic Fangio's game plan for Taysom Hill. Wow. And what look that's going to look like. I just, I want to see it in person. I'll double mask up and uh, brave, brave the press box in Denver, but I want to see it because I want to see what it, I, I want to see the Taysom Hill experience up close. Cause I'm not sure if I'm quite on board. Um, I know a lot of people were like jacked up about it after Sunday. I'm not quite Who was that yet. excited about it. I, I definitely I was know. not in that camp. <laughs> I don't know. I just think there were a lot of people that are like, everybody should apologize to Sean Payton. He was right. And I'm like, was he right? He was one game. So let's see. So I'm uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what that um, what that you game plan. You just want to rub it in Sean Payton's face. I can tell. That's, that's where you're going with this. <laughs> I just am not ready. I, I think it's just that I covered so much of Tim Tebow and I see so much of Tebow as a passer and Taysom Hill that I'm just not Tebow quite ready PTSD. to let it really is. I'm not quite ready to let go. I'm not quite ready to let go of it. Um, but oh, let's, I totally understand that. All right. What's your next one? So let's move on. Um, we all knew that I was going to get back to the Chiefs at some point here, but I'm specifically thankful for the Chiefs red zone playbook. And that was the big question that I had about their offense coming into this year was what they were going to look like in the red zone. It was probably the one like knit you could pick about them 
from last year coming into 2020. And it is so freaking fun to watch them anytime they get I don't know. It's not even the red zone, but especially when they get kind of inside the the 30, the 25. And then when they, some of these crazy goal line packages, I mean, just last week, they ran that wildcat play inside shovel pass from Travis Kelsey. Um, I'm still cackling over the Ferrari right play that they ran a couple weeks ago <laughs> where Patrick Mahomes went in motion to catch a snap. I was laughing mostly because heading into the Super Bowl last year, um, Nate Taylor and I worked on a story where we talked to, I don't know, probably dozens of people around the Chiefs about what was your favorite, the craziest thing that you've seen Patrick Mahomes do. Most of them are practice stories. Some are in games, but this was in January. And Austin Ryder, who wasn't even their starter at the time, but told me that Patrick Mahomes was having him practice no-look snaps. And he was just like laughing about it. And I was like, what do you mean no look snaps? And he was like, yeah, he'll line up. He'll go line up 10 yards to the right. He'll go in motion and he'll just tell me to snap it. And I looked at him like he was crazy. And then here we are 10 months later and they're actually running it and running it in a game. And I just love the constant creativity, the innovation, the we will try anything attitude that they have. And uh, they have, it's, it's like I mentioned earlier, it's the perfect mix of a quarterback who can pull it off, a head coach who is crazy enough to try these things. And it's so fun. And I'm thankful for every moment that we get to watch it. I traded for Travis Kelsey in my fantasy league in part just because I wanted to be part of the Chiefs offense again. Like I just felt like I was missing out by not getting to root for them in some way every single week. It was a similar thought process to getting Keenan Allen on my team. It's like, I just want to root for Justin Herbert. It's just fun. Being a part of the Chiefs in any small way and getting to watch them is always enjoyable. So I support that. Mine is similar in terms of offensive creativity. I am thankful for what John Gruden has done for Derek Carr. Derek Carr always had the talent and the physical makeup to be a super exciting quarterback. And we never got to see it because of the style of play that he just seemed completely attached to. And this year, for whatever reason, whether it's adding a little bit more speed, you know, drilling it into him, just kind of being in his ear about it, it just feels like we're getting a different type of Derek Carr. Even if, oh, I don't think it's drastically different. You know, he's not. Jameis Winston two years ago with how deep he's throwing the ball down the field but I still think consistently this is a guy who's trying to make plays down the field in a way he didn't earlier in his career and I just love watching the Raiders offense it's something I've gotten consistent enjoyment from over the last couple weeks as I've dug in a little bit more and been really interested in them so I appreciate John Gruden finally pushing Derek Carr to a place that people around Derek Carr had wanted him to reach for a long time now. I love it. I just love that people are going to evolve and they're evolving and it's not the same version of John Gruden. It's certainly not the same version of Derek Carr. And um, it's, it's been really fun and nobody's going to want to play them in the playoffs, right? No. I mean, it's going to be a mess for anybody who has to play them. Although I am very much hoping that we get a third game of Chiefs Raiders at some point in the postseason, whether, you know, divisional round or the playoffs, something like that. It would be fantastic. All right. What's your next one? You have All one right. more? Um, yeah, I'm going to, well, we have two more, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm thankful for the entire NFC West. And this year has given us the worst division in football that we've ever seen in the NFC East. So thank <laughs> God we have the NFC West. And while the 49ers, who were the best team in that division last year, 
have had a really rough go of it because of, of injuries. They're still really fun to watch week to week, mostly because of the stuff that Kyle Shanahan is doing. So top to bottom, that division is really fun. Every time we get to see an NFC West game, it's a treat. Um, this week, we're getting another one. We're getting, um, we get Rams Niners this Sunday. So I'm just, I, I love that division. I wish all four of those teams could be in the playoffs. Three, There's a really good chance that three of those teams will make the playoff field. And if the Niners can pull it together a little bit, they could be in that they're in kind of that next tier down of teams really fighting for a final wild card spot. So I wish we could kick the NFC East completely out of the playoffs and get everybody in the NFC West into the postseason. Um, but if we have to settle for three teams, if we, if we have to settle for Rams, Seahawks and Cardinals, that's still pretty damn good. I'm terrified. I'm not terrified because I actually think it'd be really fun. But I wrote about something quarterback related for Friday, and I was talking about what the Niners might do. And I went back and I watched that BYU guy a lot in preparation to talking to Dane Brugler on yesterday's show. And now I just see it in my head of the Niners getting like the 10th pick in the draft, that guy being there with his just ridiculous arm talent, Kyle Shanahan getting a hold of him and just seeing the world in technicolor as I watched that guy in Kyle Shanahan's offense. So I kind of hope they don't go on a late season run <laughs> and somehow make the playoffs or somehow push to it. If the bears are terrible and the bears go six and 10, I would love the Niners to not be anywhere near the top 10 of the draft. But if the bears are going to have the 17th pick anyway, I don't mind if the bears or the Niners are ahead of them as we're trying to jockey for quarterbacks here. <laughs> All right. My last one. I am thankful for this Cleveland Browns running game. I love that there is a team that does not trust its quarterback and essentially has decided their best chance to win is to run the ball like 35 times a game. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One, I just love the fact that Kevin Stefanski, who is not a tr like a hardened running guy. I don't. If you told him this is your best chance to win, you have to throw the ball 55 times, I think he would do that. I don't think he is somebody that to his core, wants to run the ball as much as they're doing it. And I think the same thing is true in Minnesota last year, but I do think he understands that the path of least resistance is occasionally the best one. So their acceptance of that, hiring Bill Callahan to come in and design that run game and have him be just an unbelievably smart move by Stefanski, and then the talent they have both up front and in the backfield. Nick Chubb, as we talked about on Sunday, is my favorite running back in the NFL. I think he is the most talented pure runner in the league. Watching him run behind Wyatt Teller, who's become one of my favorite guys to watch in the NFL, J.C. Treader, that revamped offensive line, it's just a treat. It is smash mouth, we are coming at you football in the best possible way. I think that Teller, honestly, right now, I know he's been hurt, but I think he has a claim as the best player in the NFL at his position this season relative to the other guys at that position. Quentin, Quentin Nelson? I, I think that compared wow. to everybody else... This has been a lot Wyatt of Quentin Teller Nelson slander claim. on this podcast today. <laughs> Quentin Nelson has been great. I think right now, Wyatt Teller is playing as well as anybody in, compared to his peers at any position in the league. Quentin Nelson could destroy us. We should probably tread carefully. <laughs> yeah, 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 you absolutely should. That's okay. He seems like a kind-hearted man at his core. All right, what's your last one? Um, I just want to, as you're, since you're talking about the Browns running game, um, I just want to shout out Nate Tice for my favorite tweet of the day, which was posting um, Nick Chubb's high school track photos. So oh, everybody you haven't seen sure that you, before? I had not seen that before. Oh, it was it's brilliant. Glorious. And my goodness. It's glorious. Was, and go check out Nate's Twitter if you haven't seen it. It is 
absolutely bonkers how much bigger Nick Chubb is than like the 17-year-old kids he's running against in high school track. It was incredible. So, all right. So my final thing that I'm thankful about this football season, I'm going to get a little sappy again, but my daughter is four. And this is the first year that she's kind of understanding football and is getting into one, knowing what I do and also wanting to engage with football. So hopefully you've seen she records her own picks podcast. Shout out to our producer, Marissa, who puts it together for us every <laughs> week. Um, but I get to watch football with my child now every week. And she doesn't sit through entire games. She does know that I will let her extend bedtime and stay up too late um, when there are good primetime games going because I want to I want to watch. So we will lay in the dark in her room watching Monday night football or Sunday night football on my phone. And she stayed up till like almost 945 the other night. So we could watch the end of Raiders chiefs and uh, I regret nothing. Um, So it's just been really special to have that. And while this year has been really difficult job wise or indifferent just from what we're used to, I mean, normally Robert, you and I would be going to some game, not every game, but we would be going to some games. We would be going to the big games and you know, I'm, I'm home now. I'm not traveling, which means a lot more time with my daughter. And it's just really fun that I'm getting to share football with her. That said, I wouldn't take her picks to Vegas. I wouldn't go, go, you know, <laughs> bet on games <laughs> given her. Uh, I will say she, uh, I, she's, she's continuing to pick the jets again this week. That'll be a spoiler alert. She's, she's just really high on the jets. And I did, <laughs> but I did successfully, I did successfully talk her out of picking the Eagles over the Seahawks. Uh, is that the Monday night game, Sunday night game or Monday night game? But I talked her it's, out. Of- it's a game that is in way more of a prominent position than it has any right being. That's what I'll say. Yeah. So I talked her out of picking the Eagles for that game. So at least there was that. But so that has been um, one of my favorite things about this football season. It's been really nice. I remember when she was born. It's very fun watching her develop into like a real person that can watch things and be a human. I've, been, I've enjoyed it from afar as well. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, very quickly here, 
we're going to do one more stupid Thanksgiving thing because you brought it up to me and I loved the idea. <laughs> we're talking about NFL quarterbacks as Thanksgiving foodstuffs, which is a perfect idea that is so dumb that we have to do it. All well, right. Somebody asked me in my mail. My I was soliciting questions for my mailbag this week that's I believe is going to run Friday morning. And somebody asked me to do playoff matchups as Thanksgiving sides and I couldn't quite wrap my head around that's it. That's really hard. That's, I that's was a like, very that requires some mental gymnastics that I think would be extremely impressive if somebody could I appreciated the question but I just couldn't I just couldn't get there. Um so instead we decided to do um to do some quarterbacks. So you go first. All right, who'd you have as mashed potatoes? Well so initially I put I put Tom Brady as mashed potatoes because it's kind of like the goat of sides. You know, you have to have it. It's hard to mess it up although the bucks seem to be trying but it's just the the constant the you know you have to have it every year on thanksgiving um i don't but i don't know i was i was a little i was a little torn if he was my mashed potatoes but i just thought because of anybody who's playing right now he still is the goat give me a couple years and patrick mahomes will be the goat of thanksgiving sides so i i said the same thing i think tom brady has mashed potatoes because it's something you're going to rely on all the time it's always there and it also can serve different functions. Like sometimes it has gravy, which is like what Tom Brady needed in 2005 when he was like a, a kind of a bit player on those teams. Sometimes it just has a, tons of butter in it. You can eat it without anything. That's Tom Brady in like 2007 when he stands alone. He doesn't need any sort of help. And sometimes it's like, you know, a little bit of texture on a day after leftovers sandwich. So it has many functions, <laughs> but it's always there and it's always great. So I, that, that's why I said it was Tom Brady. I'm going, my sweet potato casserole is Patrick Mahomes because okay. I think that sweet, I love sweet potatoes. I eat a sweet potato every single day, which I know is weird, but I, I seriously do. I roast it and put it in my salad like every day and sweet potatoes on their own are great. And the chief's offense with Alex Smith was great. Didn't need anything else. It was enjoyable. But then you load that up with some brown sugar, some marshmallows, some crispies. It takes it to a whole different level. And that is what we are seeing with Patrick Mahomes in this offense versus what Alex Smith was in this offense. That is my Patrick Mahomes sweet potatoes metaphor. All right. I'm going to have so my mac and cheese is Russell Wilson and not just because he posted a mac and cheese recipe today which actually looked really good it was like sponsored content for Bose, and he was wearing an apron that says let Russ cook but whatever it, the, the recipe looked insane i love the fact that russell wilson still operates like a third round pick that's making 500 grand a year russell wilson is available and i respect him for it well and i think he's probably i mean i hope he's doing this path where he's just kind of like living off of all of his endorsement money and taking all these deals and then you know his wife is very very wealthy on his own and he's going to be a mogul forever and he's going to do like good for him uh Alaska Airlines and you know all of those sorts of things but so i had a in, like on a text chain a few weeks ago um with a with a bunch of other people wondering if mac and cheese was like a common Thanksgiving so I, that's side. my question. Do you have mac and cheese every year at Thanksgiving? I, I don't. Well, we traditionally didn't. My in-laws will make it. So over the last few years it's become a more common common item and that's kind of how Russell Wilson is too where now it's like now he's constant in my life and I love it and it's really good it's really delicious I think could take over that spot from mashed potatoes sometimes and just being the best side dish on your plate if it's well made and that's what Russell Wilson is I've never had mac and cheese at Thanksgiving never once in my entire life I think you should try it 
I don't. I Maybe. I love mac and cheese. I have mac and cheese in plenty of other scenarios. Mac and cheese is a staple barbecue side for me, but mm. I've never yeah. had it at Thanksgiving. So maybe that's just on me, and I should make a little bit of a change. Yeah. But I've never considered it a, a Thanksgiving side. Taysom Hill is cranberry <laughs> sauce for me. You're wondering what the hell it's doing there, and then <laughs> afterward you're like, oh, okay, that was fine. Like I, I'm, I'm glad it was here. That was an enjoyable experience to do once a year. I'm not sure I want to do it all the time, but it's better than I expected it to be. So is he like canned cranberry sauce? It's cra- canned cranberry, like the yes, wiggly canned. jelly. Yeah, canned, canned, because good can- cranberry sauce is really good. But yeah, canned, I mean, it's my- just like it looks weird. I'm not sure it should be here at all, but I'll, I'll take it and I'll put it on there and I'll be happy that I had it. But I still don't really understand what it is. That's what Taysom Hill is. My mom makes the best cranberry sauce, and I'm really going to miss that. So we're not spending Thanksgiving together. So that's going to be my one thing I miss this year. All right. My Brussels sprouts is Philip Rivers. You're just making up Thanksgiving foods now. Why are Brussels sprouts at Thanksgiving side? Are you kidding? I love Brussels sprouts. Really? Brussels? You don't have Brussels sprouts at Thanksgiving? You're like a roasted root vegetable? Oh, man. You're missing no. out. What do and you again, eat I have at Brussels Thanksgiving? Sprouts once a week, but I've never had it at Thanksgiving. What do Maybe you What start... do you eat at Thanksgiving? What are turkey, your sides? Turkey, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, green bean casserole, stuffing. That's like it. And cranberry okay. sauce. That's fair. I have some of those on my list too. But I mean, I think I feel like a roasted root vegetable is a staple. I mean, I love roasted root vegetables, but I just, it's never been mm. a part of my Thanksgiving meal. Mm. Well, that is what I'm cooking tomorrow is uh, I have a Brussels sprouts and butter, butternut squash recipe oh, that, that I'm freaking great. I it's love both be, of those things. And dry, it was dried cranberries and like a Dijon vinaigrette. It's How do you be. make your Brussels sprouts? Do you put them in the oven? Uh, I'm going to roast them. Yeah. In the oven. Oh, see, I, I do straight in the cast iron, get them nice and brown, mm. nice and crispy with bacon. That's my move. Um, But so I, I'm putting Philip Rivers there because it's something that you might initially think you're not going to like it. And I think there's a lot of fan bases and a lot of players around the league who think they aren't going to like Philip Rivers. And then you start eating it and you get an acquired taste for it. And then you realize that it's (laughs) freaking awesome. And it has to be a part of your life every Thanksgiving. So give it a try. Give it a try, Robert. You're going to like it. They're they're dang gum good. I love Brussels sprouts. Just not. I've (laughs) never had them for Thanksgiving. Hmm. Philip Rivers was stuffing for me because the variance you can either yeah, have that's great true. stuffing or really bad stuffing. Also, I think that stuffing is like the Thanksgiving food connoisseur's side. Like when you can really make it, it just is such a thing that, again, if you know what you're after, know what you're looking at, it's always the best thing. That's how I feel about Philip Rivers. He's like the football connoisseur's guy, but the floor is also extremely low when it's done wrong. So that's my, again, my forced Philip Rivers metaphor. Uh, All right, give me last, one more. Yeah, give I have me one two more. more. I have two more okay. quickly. Matthew Stafford is turkey because it's never as good as it should be. <laughs> it's true. And Matt, Matt Ryan is green bean casserole because it's always better than you think it's going to be. Those are my two. I'm not sure if I'm with you on the Matt Ryan. You think Matt Ryan is better than it should be? Not better than it should be, but you every time you have it, like every time I watch Matt Ryan, it's always like, oh, Matt Ryan's pretty damn good. Like I don't really watch Matt Ryan all the time. I don't think of him as one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but every time I watch him, it's like, oh, that's better than I expected. Sure. All right. I'm with you. I think I think we covered it. I think we covered our quarterbacks as, as side dishes, but now I'm really hungry. It's the dumbest thing we've ever done. Well, <laughs> lucky for you, we'll be having Thanksgiving tomorrow, even if it's in some sort of diminished capacity. 
Thank you so much, guys, for listening. I really hope you enjoy the holiday, whatever form it takes for you this year. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks for having us be a part of it in some small way. We will be back, me and Nate, on Sunday. Please check The Athletic tomorrow. We have a fantastic subscription deal going on for Black Friday. You will absolutely not regret it. It runs through December 4th. Please take advantage of that. Please subscribe and rate the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you on Sunday. This was The Athletic Football Show.